0: Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. Welcome to Life on Mars, the mars 8th podcast where we talk innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship. I'm really delighted to bring you our latest um, guest for tonight. We'll have... Peter Onve, uh, one of the co-founders of Sketch, the design application we use in Space. You might use in your companies or you might not, then better go get it and start using it. A welcome to the show, Peter. Uh, Peter, how are you doing?
1: Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here.
0: And there's one thing. You recently celebrated 10 years, right? I know that the company is a little bit longer, or perhaps you have been working longer on the product. You launched in 2010. Mm-hmm. and um, Congratulations on that! Uh, what what can we expect from from Sketch in the in the months ahead? Before we go into the history of the company, that's something we want to talk about today. Oh, uh, we're working on a lot of things
1: uh, for the end of the year. Like um, we have an, uh, an update coming up any of any day now, which is probably out by the time we talk. 69, nine, we're introducing a few exa- exciting things. We have, uh, of course, Apple's upcoming release with Big Sur and the big visual redesign, and we're hard at work that as well Uh, when that 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 will ship who knows Uh, apple surprises us at the last minute usually Hmm. and we're working on some pretty exciting features for the app itself we're hoping to launch uh collaborative editing before the end of the year so we have a busy couple of months ahead of us
0: you got a busy, busy schedule, and I'm really excited to see about the new, the new changes coming up. Let's go to the very beginning. Um, what we're going to talk today is mostly it's the how to keep the love alive with your co-founder and with your team after so many years after experiencing growth. You guys also raised investment. We're going to cover all of this throughout the years. Let's start from the very beginning. You met your co-founder, but actually you didn't meet in person after the launch of the product, right? You had been working for a while. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, no, that's true. We met. Uh, we met a couple of months after we launched that version of Sketch that we worked on together, and that was just because we were both flying to the US and said, "Well, it made less makes sense to meet up somewhere before before we can get on, on the plane." We worked together for um, I think at least a year before we before we before we saw each other in person, and just uh, back then I was working from uh, London. He's he was and still is based in Portugal, and we just connected over. I think back then it was called iChat. Um, and you know, we just talked la la like that. A uh, lot, lots of lots of texting, lots of exchanging images, and we just we just started working together. Yeah, I got I got in contact with Emmanuel through another designer I worked with before that on another app um, I built. And that designer, I had never met either. We built that app together. We launched it. Um, then he went off to Apple. I was looking for a new designer because of that. And he said, hey, let's, have, let's go have a, have a chat with Emmanuel. I think you, you two would uh, like each other. And that's how we, we met, Never never meeting in person.
0: But it seems to me it's a very, very similar relationship or story to the one of Basecamp, right? Where the co-founders of Basecamp, they started collaborating in the design agency they had through 7Signals, and then eventually, you know, VHH turned around to be the, the CTO, but they had never met in person, right? They, they would just work amazing. remotely and asynchronously, and that's sort of what defined the, the culture. Is that also what happened with you? Like, I, I know you guys are extremely friendly to remote. You're all remote, actually. And so, uh, did this initial relationship define the foundations of your company culture with regards to the remoteness of the company? Absolutely. Uh,
1: we um, we just started working on what would become Sketch because we had this idea, and he had a problem that he needed solving. And so, we thought, well, if it's him, there might be others. Uh, but we didn't really start with some big grand master plans so let's build a big company around this we had no idea how the application would do we just thought well let's let's make this app and maybe this app will be a success maybe not if it's not we'll just work on another app or we go our separate way so we never really we were never really were at that moment where we like okay we're going to do this big thing and we're going to going into a place and we're going to open an office and we're going to start hiring people. Um, that was never part of the plan. We just started working together. And when Sketch had launched, and it uh, became clear that this was not like the other apps I had worked on, well, we were in separate countries. And so, okay, we needed someone to help us with support. So we found someone there and we needed an extra developer. And we found them there and sort of um, at no point were we like, okay, we, should, we need to rethink what we're doing. We need to find a location, open an office, get everybody there. And so sort of the remote culture sort of happens bit by bit. And before we knew it, we were that kind of team. And okay, we're a remote company now. Uh, this is apparently the way way we are. So it's, it's a lucky uh, accident. Uh, I'm very happy it happened this way. But I can't claim that it was a deliberate uh, thing on, or it just happened.
0: Before we go into the remote part, which is extremely interesting, as a for instance, at Mars Base, we're extremely remote. We don't have an office, never had for the seven years of the company, right? But there's a, there's a question. Like I've read different approaches to how you started the company, right? Because you say that you didn't do market research, um, and but you you did have a vision, right? Photoshop was being marketed as the design tool for professionals, while you wanted to make it accessible to everyone. So it seems to me that there was some vision, it was not market research. So would you say that perhaps the evolution of the product, the conception evolution of the product was more gut based than
1: business driven? Oh, yeah, I know for sure. we both had a we, we both had a number of years experience prior. Uh, me just working with various these designers over the over the years working on different apps. They all used Photoshop. They sort of uniformly complained that it wasn't really doing uh, what they wanted it to do. Of course, Emmanuel himself he had deep 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 knowledge and experience of Photoshop. Didn't like it, but knew plenty of other designers in the community who felt uh, similarly. So we both sort of had this idea like um, there must be a better way to do this. We have ideas um, and we know uh, other people. And so if we know other people and we don't know that many people, um, there's probably something here.
0: And that was sort of the extent of our quote-unquote market research. Yeah, and and you... Like, you know, entrepreneurship sometimes is advertised to the rest of the world as as an ABC book, right? Oh, you got to do this, find a technical co-founder, then somebody who knows about fundraising, raise a fund, prototype, build a prototype, go to find a product market feed, then once you hit it, then VC and go big and blah, 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 right? And It's kind of like an ABC, but it seems to me that, that you guys, although you've been extremely successful and you're being successful so far, is that you've done things always differently, just not because you've you've read them in a book, right? So the fact that you started with a co-founder you had never met before, that you were entirely remote, that you had no office, your tech stack is pretty interesting as well. It's not really not really common um, with the way that I've seen. There's a, a lot of functional programming in your tech stack, for instance. And like a lot of things, or the fact that you had been uh, self-funded um, and bootstrapped for many, many years before yeah. you, you raise um, the investment, right? how did how did you how did you know what was the, the the right thing to follow and how hard was it to to actually avoid following the book that other companies were following well, we're both pretty stubborn
1: uh you mentioned thirty seven signals already and they've always been a, a sort of inspiration in a way that you don't have to do things a traditional way um you can find your you can find your own path and must also say, when we started out, we were incredibly naive. Uh, that definitely more naive than we were now, and so we we didn't think um, like we never made a, a deliberate choice not to pursue funding, not not because we 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 thought they wouldn't be interested, or we deliberately went away. It just never occurred to us to look at funding because we were just going to make a Mac app for the designers, and like what's. What V Z what company would be interested in that? So this is a lot of, it's a lot of sort of naivety and just like, um, yeah, we just wanted to build an app, and so we started building an app and we took it step by step from, uh, from there and, um, yeah, you I mean, you just make make stuff up as you go go along and. I think it helps that when when neither of us is really sort of connected into, uh, we were not not connected into some sort of startup bubble. We didn't have like friends who had started a business, had a successful exit, and and heard of those things from that. we were not uh, obviously not based in the in the, the in in the valley, um, so we're pretty isolated from what a more uh, common path to take is perhaps for a traditional startup.
0: Which is great because, uh, like, it might help to get to a certain point, but definitely you don't stand out, right? If you if you follow the path that every everybody follows, mm-hmm, then you indeed. end up where everybody else uh, ends up, right? But um, there's one one thing that I really wanted to narrow in on, which is the thing about being remote, right? I mean, founding a company remotely must be really difficult. Um, you have to give less explanations than other people because you didn't have investors. So it's like th- that wouldn't be a problem, but why did you decide that once you uh, I started hiring people not to have an office, like to hire because I think one of your first hires was living in an, a small island in Scotland or something. yeah, like that, no right? indeed, indeed.
1: indeed now when we when we got to maybe over slightly over half a dozen people, uh, so you ask yourself that question, like should we like we seem to keep growing slowly, should we take that step now, right to Open an office, but then you look at the people who were working, we were working with, and we knew that we would, like at least two or three of them, would definitely not be interested in moving to wherever we were going to open an office. We're definitely not definitely not going to open an office in the outer Hebrides or somewhere else in Scotland. So that would I we knew that we would lose two or three people. Good views. Good views though. (laughs) Yeah the internet connectivity was a bit of a was a bit of an issue I remember. Um correct. It still is. But so you think is it really worth like going to a location? Have everybody moved there? If you, if you are pretty sure you're going to lose part of the team already, part of the small team that you've built already. And this remote thing seems to be working. It worked for Basecamp. Uh, yeah, why not, why not just keep doing what works? Why risk everything? Like, um, I mean, I was, it was the collaboration with Emmanuel was go, go, going great and collaboration with all the, all the other people in the team. But the collaboration was going great being remote. You have no idea what kind of things you're inviting into the company if you force everybody into an office. And so why risk what is working what is work, working well? And we were, I mean, I was happy working from home. Emmanuel was happy working from home. So why risk it to
0: pursue a more traditional uh, thing? And now, how about in terms of product, right? There's always this, this sort of fight between product managers and developers. Because product managers, they want to be always in the same room. They're not remote friendly. They need to have their brainstorming sessions and and so on and so forth. Whereas developers are more like tech people. We like to work remotely. We are mm-hmm. not like all this bullshit of brainstorming sessions and post its here and there and colors is like not really working for us. Um, but right. how does it turn to be in a company that design is at your core? So you're not you're a part time at designing company, but you're also a tech company. So how to combine them
1: right so uh, by sort of trade i'm a developer so i um i'm a bit of a lonely quote-unquote guy uh myself that way <laughs> like i don't mind just to be on my own and just work um so i spent uh, like that first version of sketch was written uh only by me with Emmanuel doing the design and we were just um we're just constantly collaborating, uh, exchanging ideas, and we've never sort of done any sort of uh, sort of high level blue sky thinking with postcards and uh, those kind of those kind of things. It's always just it's always always been a very practical approach. Uh, quickly build something. let try that. How does it feel? Uh, iterate. Go back to the go back to the wrong board. Discuss a bit more. Make a few more changes. Never sort of look okay, It's a complete blank slate. Let's let's um, let's really go crazy, thinking up uh, completely new ideas. Uh, we feel there's a lot of benefit, and just like these quick iteration cycles with the with the developers going going back and forth, you can you can theorize as much as you want, but before you sort of have the thing in your hands, uh, it's really hard to judge. And also, I find that you can have those sort of in-depth dis- design discussions perfectly well over chats, over uh, maybe better over chat than over sort of audio or video calls, because I find that it gives me more time to think. Um, if I'm in a room with someone discussing, it feels like we're being tremendously productive. Um, you're all around the same whiteboard. You're frantically making notes, and everybody, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome, and so it feels very productive. But you spend all—at least I find that—I spend so much of my 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 attention, my energy, on sort of uh, listening to what the people say. That there is no time in between to to think. And so, you leave the meeting thinking, okay, this is awesome. We're going to do this. And as soon as you leave the meeting and you're back at your uh, hotel or back at at your own place thing or something, you think, well, actually, that doesn't actually work because of reasons. And I find that when you discuss things over text, you have a lot more time to think in between the conversations. So, you're much much quicker to find the things that don't work, that sound really nice when you say them in front of a whiteboard, but don't actually work in practice. For some reason, for me, it works much much better over text, and I've, I, I think I found it to be the case with many of the other people in the company as well. Uh, we do have our occasional audio and video calls, but very often design discussions are just okay. Let's let's do this over chat. Let's ex- let's ex- exchange screenshots. Let's let's open a few threads. Let's let's explore a bit rather than jump into a to a phone call.
0: But you will agree with me that perhaps you're biased in this answer because you're a developer, right? And so you prefer the async model, right?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe, but um, I it's I I mean I maybe I'm biased that way, but I I think it works for it works for for other designers as well. And I so we we try before all this. COVID stuff hit, we try to meet up once or twice a year with the team in, in person. So we've had frequent sort of uh, whiteboard design discussions. Um, but we always sort of find that during, during that time when we get together, we don't actually make the big the decisions. Like we, we talk a lot and we, we seem to be making the decisions, but then later we always find that it doesn't actually work. And then you actually—what would you do during this day? Sorry, I broke you. Broke you. No, you just—I I mean, you come up with—I mean, there's always a bunch of stuff that you want to talk about. So you think, okay, now we have everybody in the same room. Now let's talk about this. Let's talk about some new feature that we want to build. And you always leave the leave the meeting with some idea, and then you always find later that it doesn't actually work. And yeah. I, I don't know. For us, for, for us, it it, it it works. We 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 just we just talk on Slack. We we chat. We exchange screenshots. And I don't feel like the lack of a physical presence is really hurting us at all.
0: No, no, don't get me wrong. I'm on your side, right? But uh, usually when I interview, I interview a lot of PMs, so product managers and and people from from product, and they're usually very, very, very. Strong, opinionated, in favor of having physical meetings for these kind of product. Uh, yeah, you know, but maybe,
1: maybe that's because they excel at those meetings, but the rest of the team might not. Um, I mean, we were saying that the developers might might prefer slightly less sort of face face to face intense meeting. Uh, I mean, I've I know plenty of developers who are less good at that kind of model. Um, but it doesn't mean that, and so they might get less heard at this kind of meeting, but it doesn't mean their, their opinion is less valid. If you have it in a format that more people are comfortable with, maybe more people would actually speak out. And so just because a PM might prefer like a, a Zoom call doesn't mean that the entire team should therefore jump on a on
0: Zoom call. And how about the, the entire distribution of your team? Let's... Let's focus on that. would you say that also like you when you hire are you looking for people who are most comfortable working in asynchronous style rather than than synchronous and that perhaps that's why your product people are not so not so strongly opinionated uh for the the physical meetings or how does oh, that? there are some opinions there, but uh
1: like we i think we've always believed it's very important that you sort of um design or product or whatever you call it shouldn't dictate uh the thing that you're building and if you choose the format that like the product or the product, product manager is the most comfortable with then you might not end up with a solution that is best for everybody so try try to find something that the entire team is comfortable with and then conduct the meetings or the discussions that way um I've, I, I've always thought that the collaborative aspect is very important. I don't want any group dictating anything to anyone else. And it's sort of our role as product people to mediate between that, not to impose our will on the rest of the, the group. So if nobody is comfortable in an audio chat, where we are and we therefore we dictate the rest of the group, I think we'd get the, the wrong uh, balance. As for hiring people... Um, Naturally, we look for people who are like good and comfortable with this kind of asynchronous communication and are good at Slack and don't want to jump on a phone call for every little thing because that's just not how the rest of the company operates. So that's undoubtedly a bit of a selective bias there. But uh, I mean, we even do our, I mean, I have all the job interviews I've done when hiring for the company. They've always been on Slack um oh, wow. very rare that that i do a phone call with a candidate uh to talk to them it's just like well day-to-day we will be talking over slack so let's do this interview over slack as well to have a get a feeling of
0: wait 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 so you invite we, them to your slack or you have a slack for hiring and i mean you can
1: you can invite you can you can invite people to your slack as a single channel guest or something right? yeah like, um, but I think it's very, very important to interview and talk with these people in the, um, the environment that you
0: will be talking with them day, 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 day to day. Oh wow, that's interesting! So you would have part of it; it's written, and then you sort of call each other, or it's all written. So how does that go? I, 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 I'm very, I'm very curious. I've hired, we've hired
1: plenty of people that we've never seen on video, or never heard on audio,
0: or never met in each. really. Yes, yes. Did that work? I um, mean, it seems that like you're you're probably going going to say, yeah, it's worked for the most part. But like, I presume that there might be a lot of circumstances in which you might have like false positives, right? Because then it turns out to be one person that I don't know for whatever reason cannot mm, adjust the schedules or like some formalities in the in the presentation or in the calls, and perhaps they're not suited to talk to. I don't know, somebody outside of the company. I don't know. Have you seen any, any difficulties in people that you've hired uh, in spite of never having seen them before?
1: Well, you you always make some mistakes when you hire people, right? I mean, in the face-to-face interview, is not a guarantee either of, of a successful hire that will not disappoint you ever or will like...
0: No, you're um, correct, yeah.
1: But... Uh, no, I I think our hiring ratio, um, so like so, sort of success, success versus failure ratio has been has been very good. Uh, yeah. So so many of the people that we only interviewed over text, we've only met them like the year after at the, the the meetup or or something like that. And many of those people, like the vast majority, are still with us. Um, and, and I mean, again, I don't see anything weird about this because it, I mean, they might completely dazzle you in a sort of a face-to-face Zoom interview, but if you talk to them over over text all day every day, then it doesn't it doesn't matter how they present themselves on on Zoom. Really, like if they they like in an extreme case, they might sound amazing on Zoom, but they they are not there. They could they. They can't type uh, and they can't, they can't
0: type. But maybe they way. don't know how to write. Yeah, <laughs>
1: no, but I mean, of course it's an extreme case, but like it it feels completely natural to, uh, in, to interview people in the way that you'll be commun- communicating with them day to day and how they will be communicating with the rest
0: of the day to day. It seems to me like the kind of companies that they, they would just invite the the candidates for a day just to meet with the team, maybe have lunch with them, something like that, to see if there is some kind of bonding, right? But um, uh, Well, a little...
1: that's a little bit hard in a remote. remotes. Yeah, no,
0: you bones? wouldn't fly somebody from nope. New Zealand to Amsterdam for lunch with you, right? <laughs> yeah, and
1: then it would just be lunch with me, not lunch with Emmanuel in Portugal or some designer in in, in Germany or developer in London or... You don't want to bring the entire team together for, just lunch, for lunch just to hide, just to see if you uh, all like the same candidate.
0: Correct. Now let's talk a little bit about culture, right? Because um, it seems to me that you have been learning about business or about creating a company as you went, right? Mm-hmm. So, did you have initially did you have an idea of the kind of culture that you wanted to have, like kind of print into the company, or the company created the culture? Or the team created the culture. What was it like in your case? I
1: think it's definitely the case that the team creates the c- culture over time. Like the team started with just a man of LME, so so of course the first few uh, the first few hires took over our ways a bit. But over time, that dilutes, and you just uh, that dilutes, lose that dilutes so much that there's not. That I think the biggest contribution there is definitely from the team as a whole, and we may have set the initial sort of few initial stand a uh, few initial standards and boundaries but it's I think it's definitely the, the team now that that's that keeps developing the,
0: the culture how do you how do you pass the culture of you know the founders or the first hires even top down to the rest of the hires right because let me let me just say something right? passing the culture on to other people in remote only environments it's Ten times harder than being physically in the same office, right? So, how do you ensure that you pass the culture on to the new hires, on to the new generation of people to come to work for Sketch? Um,
1: well, I don't know if it's ten times, ten, ten, 10 times harder than doing it in person, um, but I mean, I've we've always been very, very visible in sort of all the day-to-day operations. I. I kept, for example, I kept developing like basically full time for many years after uh, sketch sketch release. So I had many interactions with developers and designers, and yeah, just the same with it, with Emmanuel, just Like every day, sort of talking with most of the most of, of the, the people in the company, and through that, you automatically sort of imprint the way. The way you expect, uh, you expect new features to be developed. Is the way you expect designers to work together, and or the way you expect to, that you expect people to conduct themselves in the chat. Like we're we're not the kind of distant founders that are even more more distant because we are remote. If I think if you're there every day, it doesn't really mat- matter what
0: medium you're communicating through to the rest of the. the, the I'm sure they will pick it up that way. Is this something that changed fundamentally when, because at a certain point, you know, they say culture breaks from, I think, employee number 50 onwards, right? Something like that. Um, and you you raise funding. Like, uh, you had been bootstrapped. Or you had been self-funded for, for quite a long run, maybe. And uh, I don't know why. Um, I, haven't, I haven't read about the reasons, but at a certain point, you raised like a Series A of 20 million, something like that, with a Benchmark and did you, did this have any sort of effect on the kind of people you were hiring and the pace at which you were hiring and how the culture was transmitted you, what sort of changes did you, did you see operationally in the company was it a, a different company day and night or um, no no it, it wasn't it wasn't a
1: day and night uh, change but yeah we have hired uh, quite a few people since and the focus of the company has changed in, in a way from being like purely a mac app to now having uh like a very significant cloud components in it and that's i mean it's it sort of all overlaps uh to overlaps time wise but it's not that we took investment and therefore we we started to do this cloud thing and therefore we started hiring uh, hiring people these were all sort of things that were already um already happening and they they go co- co- coincided. So yeah, there has been a change. I mean we went from a company that was just just making mostly a Mac app and sort of outsourcing part of part of the cloud stuff to, to taking everything in house and building like um building like an entire team to build like a proper cloud companion to sketch That's that's an enormous change and that that has had its changes um in the culture of the company and and sort of uh, the team and sort of our our goals and and all of that. So there's been been a change, but I think it's definitely still recognizably sketch. Yeah, I don't know why or how, but
0: I think so. (laughs) <laughs> no, of of course, and you created a solid foundation. And perhaps you you didn't go to raise funds because of desperation, like most companies, that they run out of funds, right? Or they are yeah, they are not profitable. That was that, you, that was definitely not your case. So perhaps you had a stronger, you know, you had a stronger position there, and you were able to maintain more and have a better, you know, better negotiation uh, position there. But um, but there might be some things that might change in the perhaps in the decision-taking processes, right? I don't know how much did you keep of that independence between you and your co- co-founder, now with somebody else, like having a board, for instance. I don't know if you had a board before raising funds. We've had to
1: formalize a few things since, but no, we, we, we took funding. Uh, we, f- we took funding definitely not out of desperation, not because we desperately needed cash, but... Uh, mm-hmm. I think we took we we were in a very strong position and but we felt that we we needed we needed to take sort of the next step we needed help with uh, things that we were not so sort of traditionally strong in and so i we approached we approached investors and we ended up with benchmark we were able to to help us with some of those things we were we were looking for but we didn't uh they didn't come with uh with like a long list of demands and changes and people they wanted to put in the company or they, nothing nothing like those horror stories that you've heard of like investors come in and everything changes now like things changed but we wanted them to change because we recognized that we were slowly moving from like well. A from a company that was just making a Mac app to Mac and making a Mac app, app with a cloud service. And that requires a sort of a different expertise and we're moving into... Like different way of selling the app to a different kind of customers, like not because of the investment, just but just because of the popularity of Sketch and sort of thing. So you, the product moves in a different market. You notice that the company itself grows, like we talked about, like we went from two people to now we are, we're uh, almost a hundred and hundred and twenty and somewhere halfway, you realize like um, and you say, so what, what at a certain point, um so you realize it's not just about making a good app anymore like when you're six people you can just focus on okay what is this next version of sketch going to be yeah how do we make an even or how do we make a better app every version just yourself, okay what can we do to make the app even better but at a certain point you end up with which um if you just do that long enough you sort of accidentally build up this company behind you that's that be that that becomes this big thing in itself, and so you, you deal. your start. You as you grow, you you start to deal with so many more things than just running an app. Like you have, uh, like there's the, there's the finance side, there's the operations, there's legal, there's just company keeping the company up in remote in multiple countries. It's no longer about just building an app, and so that's the stuff uh, that we. That's the reason we started reaching out, like to people uh, to help us with that. But yeah, so we recognized some changes had to be made, but they were not like imposed on us from outside, and that didn't ruin the the, the culture or anything like that. It's a very long answer, but I hope it sort of answers it.
0: No, oh, it is. But let's break it down in some parts. Like uh, um, there was one part that was not clear to me is like, so did you have a board before? Did you have advisors or? Or somebody in, in the company that would help you to take decisions.
1: So- formalized, no. Uh, okay. We we, we took the, the decisions together. We still we still take the, the decisions together. Um, and so nothing uh, nothing not, nothing has really changed in that regard. Yeah, we do have a formal board now. But
0: um, how does that feel from coming you know coming from a background of being super independent and it's you and your co-founder so. You know you take hundred percent of the decisions maybe based on arbitrary numbers and just like oh this year I've got more energy I will let's grow on I don't know 30% on maybe next year's like yeah you know let's take it easier uh, let's grow only 10 right now you've got external people to the company right so do they also take part in the configuration of these goals and milestones that you need to achieve to ensure that you know, eventually in the long run, they have a return on their investment. Oh,
1: I mean, the goal with Sketch has always been to build a better product um, and sort of trust that um, the the rest of the business will take care of itself through that. And that may sound incredibly naive and uh, and sort of and idea, idea idealistic, but it's definitely true. And it's and that is still the case. Like, um, yeah, it's. I, um, like all the decisions are like what can we are about what what can we do to make sketch better better products uh how can we keep the customers happy build those features that they that they they want and uh like and pep benchmark has full confidence in us on that i mean we've d- d- demonstrated that for the i don't know what was it 8 years before that so they they didn't they didn't come in and started dictating things, but I, will, I must say it has been very, very healthy as well to have sort of these regular check-ins. Checkups: How are we actually doing? What are we working? Because if you if you just if you don't have some sort of regular schedule, that then it's surprising how fast time can get away from you, uh, working on all things.
0: So some some health healthy your check-ins are definitely useful. Yeah, and I think that most of the questions that that one could ask any company that raised VC can be answered in this interview by saying like, look, we were already a profitable company before raising funds, so fuck it, you know, we've done it because we could. But uh, I'm I'm very interested in the decision-taking process, right? Uh, Now, board aside, when you started and the first years without funding, it was you and your co-founder, right? It's a 50% split. I assume you got a 50% split in the company, or you had, right, in the beginning. Um but even if not, how did you decide things? So did you divide by areas or like technology is mine, but product is yours, and like finance is yours? How did you di- how did you divide it? And did you cover all the areas? Well,
1: we divided we divided some things, we did some things to together. I mean, the, um I'm I'm not a visual designer, but I have a strong opinion on design and I think a decent feeling on how things sh- should should work uh, not 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 really how they feel, but how they work. And so, Emma and I always made a good good team, sort of discussing these things together, and we do that to this day. Um, and we've never, there has never ever been a case like like I uh, I have more votes than you, or like I have a high, you have a higher percentage than me, or it's like no. This if the, the if the discussions would have to come down. To that level, then I think we will be in serious trouble. You always just try to find the best compromise, and like sometimes um, you you can't you can't don't always agree on something, but there's, there's always external factors to take in into account. And just, it's is like okay, ideally we want to do this, but the tech technology dictates that we can only do that. So yeah, I agree with you, but this so yeah. Um, you, there, are, there are just external limits that you have to take into account, but this, it's never been about percentage.
0: Anyway and how about, who has the, the final? When, when it's a 50, 50%, like you know, you got an opinion on A and he's got B, and there's no way to reconciliate this, uh, um, these two opinions, right? How would you decide? What's the decision making process here? It, it, not, it is, this is not
1: really formalized uh, in any way because it doesn't really up that way like some sometimes it may be like who feels is the, mo- the most passionate about it uh um other times like yeah it's more of a technological decision than designs like so yeah i understand you feel strongly but um we're going to do it this way because i understand the te- technology better than you for example but yeah it's really depends, and and we've never yeah i I mean, I've heard people talk about like, like, oh, it's a great thing to have three co-founders because if there's, if you can't, uh, uh, if you can't agree, you can always hold hold the vote, and there'll always be a a, a winner. But no, no, that's not uh, that's, that's that's not how we do. Things.
0: No, but like, yeah, I mean, of course, like being three, perhaps it might look better on the books, just because in theory there's no way to kind like have a draw, but then we start doing politics. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, maybe I talk to one of them before the meeting to sort of like persuade him and then he'll be on my side. So there's you enter in this sort of dynamics. I mean, the reason I was asking this is, I mean, you guys have kept the company going. You've been working for like, what, 12, 13 years together, something like that and still going on. Right. How Mm -hmm. how to keep the love alive with your co-founder after, you know, 10 years since the launch. Right. What's the secret? <laughs> like, obviously, you're very aligned in a lot of things, but there must be like two or three things you do extremely well to to make that happen. Um, well,
1: just to add to the previous conversation, it's not like the decisions always end up with us two and us two fighting it out I and mean, yeah, you win or I win. I mean, we've we've built this company with a team of people around us that we that we trust. And so it's very rare that the uh, decision comes all the way to to the top and I feel a certain way and he feels an uh, other way it gets things just get decided and you know, way we have the product owner on, on the mac who feels very very strongly on something and while in might i might feel one way or the other we trust him enough to carry the 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 decision for example like but there's a lot the 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 team the team and the people with influence are a lot the bigger than us too um keeping keeping the love alive uh i i don't know i well for me i I mean i can't speak for for the others but i just love um i just love bit by bit in proving something like i i know a couple of i know a couple of uh, app developers who just can't work on the same app for more than three years. They get bored. They need to move on. They need to try something new. I don't have that that urge at all. I love what I'm doing. and just like shaving little bits here, a little, uh, little bit of polish here, a little bit of polish there. And over the years, just seeing the program evolve, I, I think that's immensely satisfying.
0: But that helps you to yourself. It seems to me that's something that it's one of your strengths as in how to keep your love for the company alive. But the relationship with a co-founder, I mean, it's always got like ups and downs, right? And oh yeah, sure. It's always good. Like there must be something that you proactively do like, hey, let's go for, I mean, I think you mentioned that you, you meet with your team once or twice a year, you might meet your co-founder more often, or you might do take like several, I don't know if you take like coaching or something like that, if you ever need yeah. it, like, is there anything that you do in specific to maintain that relationship alive and healthy,
1: um, I don't know. I know we, uh, we don't do anything special to keep that. We don't.
0: You never fought. Coaching. You never fought,
1: right? Yeah, no. Oh, of course, we have we have oh, right. the agreement. Sometimes, sometimes oh. I, Maybe <laughs> it helps that we are remote. Like I'm in the Netherlands, he is still in Portugal. So if we if are just fed up with each other for a while, we like we we don't need to we don't need to be in the same room we don't bump in, into each other all, all the time like being remote helps you also keep distance maybe maybe, maybe that's what that 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 has helped keep it going um, of course i i i don't know because we, we've never never worked in a, in an office to, together but maybe that ha- has a part to play i don't
0: know so maybe you're still keeping it alive because you don't meet very often. Maybe, maybe. who knows? Who knows? <laughs> maybe that would be the secret to keeping a lot of marriages alive <laughs> as well. <laughs> no, but like um, on the like conversely, like while that might be a really good thing, you know, you don't meet that often, therefore there's less friction. You don't meet on the bad days. You can always switch it off. Like you know, today I like I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just like doing async stuff and all mm-hmm. of that. And you don't bring it on to the other people, your frustrations or whatever. Maybe some people bring their bad feelings into the office and that creates a huge yeah. problem, right? Yeah, indeed. But on indeed. the other hand, because you never, you don't meet that often, the, I, I don't know how you deal with this, but like interactions are very meaningful when you have them in person. At least that's what happens with me and my, my co-founders, right? But online are sort of like not motivating. I mean, if we take a, a meeting online, it's like, yeah whatever like doesn't it doesn't give me an, an adrenaline boost but when we meet in person with my co-founders like wow yeah now that was a real meeting i don't know why
1: <laughs> Is it um,
0: something or am i just projecting here
1: <laughs> i i i don't feel the same way as you do it doesn't really matter whether we have whether we have the meeting in in person or not uh it's more about how the meeting went the contents of it whether we decided something really important or, or exciting, it's not it's not uh, doesn't really matter where or how we do it.
0: To me, and how about how about the relationship with the with the investors? I mean, uh, probably you know it's very easy to explain that you raise uh, funding with them because they are like, you were a profitable company and therefore they had like either to accept it or you know. But the fact that you're a really um, extremely remote company, that's usually not. A very, you know, not a very good thing for investors who don't understand remote, who don't understand async. Have you been doing some sort of like? How do you explain that? How did you explain to them? Oh, the, the, there, there
1: was no need to explain it to them at all. They loved the uh, idea and they liked the fact that we are a remote company. and They fully support us in that. So this was not a, this did did this was not anything we had to pitch at all.
0: No, right. And between the employees, like one of the, and that's also I wanted to to ask you about very specifically is one of the cons about being remote, like I'm I'm just highlighting the cons because the pros, we already know them. And uh, we, at least at Marspace, we're 100% remote. So we've been talking about, you know, the pros of being remote mm-hmm. for many, many years. So therefore let's focus on the hard truths, right? Yeah, okay. And one of them is it's difficult to to sort of, Identify when somebody's having a problem, right? Issues. Work issues or personal issues because you don't see them in the office. You don't see when they're frowning, when they're like, you know, like this in the office. And how do how do you deal with this? How do you deal with these kind of issues in the in the company if you ever had one?
1: Well, you get you get to know people pretty well when you talk to them every day over Slack. And you can just you can just tell by the way they're they're writing something, whether something is up or not. Uh, Emmanuel is especially good at it he knows immediately when I've got something on my mind that I'm not feeling like I'm trying not to show it but he knows I don't know how he does it but he just knows by the way I type maybe it's extra short sentences or differences in punctuation but it's all the subtle things somehow that you pick up face to face for sure you can also pick them up over text he definitely can I'm not as good as good at it as good at it as he is, uh, but you can definitely tell when you start to know people better.
0: And is it something, because one of the things we identified, is not only, you're right, you're 100% right. You can, you can tell by the way they type, or yeah. the way they look in the, in, the, in the video calls, right? There's something else, and I, I'd like to ask your opinion about, um, have you got like strict working schedule or everybody works in different times or whatever schedule you might have? How does it work <laughs> in the company?
1: we generally try to keep people sort of on a 9 to 5 uh what in whatever the local time zone is um it's we like the fact that it, that, that this makes it really predictable for everybody to sort of be able to know like when you can approach someone where when you need something from them but i think it's also a very healthy um very healthy thing to communicate to the rest of the team. Like, Just because you are three hours before most of your team doesn't mean you have to wake up extra early or doesn't mean you have to stay up extra late just so that you overlap uh, hours. Like, We want everybody to work reasonable hours for our benefit and theirs. And okay. I think that, will, that seems to be
0: working well. That's. I wanted to ask you precisely that because my as a follow-up to this and circling back to the previous point is we have detected over the years that when somebody has got issues you can tell like some weeks before because of their the schedule changing every day like every day they have something right every day is like today i need to take care of my mom tomorrow is my dog then i need to swap my wednesday for my saturday then when this dynamic starts and it's hard to stop it um or if you don't see it in time like it seems to develop that that person is strongly correlated to having issues with work or with personal is that something you identified as well or is there any other way you can tell
1: uh yeah no, no, those patterns are def- definitely there and uh, uh I, 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 yeah you you notice it in all manner of things uh most of them probably more subtle that just uh, radically different work hours, but no, I, I I I still maintain that you can tell you, you can tell you can tell
0: most of it there's something up with with uh, someone. Perfect. Just to wrap things up, I'd like to to ask a couple quick questions. Well, the, the first one is, you know, we like people to talk about books or some sort of inspiration you had. Is there somebody you look up to? You mentioned. Basecamp, we already know them. We talk pretty much in every episode. <laughs> we've mentioned Basecamp and Thirty Seven Signals. Is there somebody that you have as a reference, as a like some sort of inspiration, people you look up to, or any book that you might recommend to you know a technical audience that we've got in this podcast? Oh dear, you should you should have told me to pre prepare for this. We don't um, we don't prepare. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's,
1: it's, I okay. could have looked up something. Now I I don't know. Uh, you mentioned yeah Basecamp, come con. Basecamp comes up a lot. So I won't, uh, uh, I won't repeat that one. Um,
0: maybe something you know. related to design because if you're a developer but you get a good eye on design, you're extremely rare, right? <laughs> 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 so maybe, maybe that's why you're successful as a company. Because you don't you don't come across these kind of people.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I uh, let me think. Let me think a bit. Uh, I mean, we probably um, I don't know how many people you interview that have basically mostly are dedicated so many years to just building a native Mac app, like we're sort of uh, Apple fans. I
0: You're we're, the first. Okay.
1: <laughs> Very good. Uh, I mean, we started building this Mac app, um, not because we deliberately chose the Mac as the platform where all the designers are, even though they luckily are there, but, um, mm-hmm. But just because we we had we had Apple stuff, we love Apple stuff. We love their we love their design. We love their hardware, their uh, 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 software. I started programming for the, for the Mac because I really liked the language, the frameworks, design philosophy. So we always looked very very closely at um, how Apple would do things. Uh, what would what would uh, like like some great some some of the great apps that Apple has shipped over the years like how would they have done this in that version of, of Keynote how would, what is sort of the the apple way of doing things so like uh, a close uh very close uh, study of any anything Apple has always been like a source of inspiration there um not not sure i can recommend a specific book but uh
0: don't worry. And last question. Um, it's a signature question of the podcast is, can you share your biggest tech fuck up? And if possible, quantify it in how much money you squandered on that one. Oh God, this is an, another one you should have asked me about. Um, <laughs> Why not? Because of the finance or, I mean, no, but tech, this, definitely. No,
1: I would have, would have been, would have had more time to think about this to, to prepare. No, I think I wouldn't call it a fuck up, but we, um, Needs to be
0: a fuck up. Needs to be something that we can <laughs> learn fuck from.
1: Okay, well, so we had we released the first version of Sketch that Emmanuel and I released 2012. We gave ourselves seven months uh, to build this thing. I uh, sort of an artificial deadline to meet the Apple Design Awards for 2012. And when the application was rushed, released, um, it was not ready. It was most definitely not ready. Uh, and so we spent. Uh, the next sort of year and a half, digging myself out of out of a te- technical dead hole um, oh. that I thought we were never going to emerge from at a certain point, because uh, like we had this version one of uh, of sketches it was a very simple drawing app and. Any sort of proper planning of a version two with that should have had like more advanced capabilities and more demands thrown at it would have started with okay, we need some architectural redesign before we throw more features into it and so I but we first threw more and more features into it. We got a lot more customers that were all screaming about like bugs in the undo system and performance and like we were doing all our drawing on the main thread like a big thing you don't want to do and so we spent the next year and a half digging ourselves out and i'm very happy we made that but that was not a uh, given upfront. so it's not a fuck up as per se but it was a pretty big thing that we might not have emerged from if things went, went a little bit different
0: is it because like when you say it was not ready it's because of that deadline, you had to leave some things uncoded or untested, or you know,
1: well, we um, it's, it's basically just yeah, the, the time limit that we had to build the features that we wanted, there was just no time to fundamentally rethink how the application was built. We took this, this very first version and just built the rest all on top. And you can sort of still see that into this day. Like I think any oh, well. sort of any sort of mature application has those things like, okay, if we knew back then what we know now, we would have done it in a very different way. Uh, yeah. but yeah, the first two, three years of sketch were like that multiplied by I don't know how much, but it it, it was tough. It was tough. <laughs>
0: All right, I think we can wrap it up here. Any last words, anything you want to share with our audience with regards to Sketch, what's coming out next, or something you, you want to give us some sort of advice?
1: Um, well, we're, we're really... I, I mean, at the beginning, I talked about the upcoming update. I think 69 with a big focus on uh, components and design and system is going to be a really great update. I'm really looking forward to that. By the time people hear this, it's probably come out. And we're probably working on the collaborative editing update, which is also going to be awesome. I'm really excited about those. This has been a long time in the making. And I can't wait to to
0: launch it. Perfect. Thank you, Val, Peter. And thank you, everybody. We are Mars-based, an all-remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development we help all kinds of companies from startups to big corporations to conceptualize design and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now how can we help you?